1: If you're looking to throw some optics on your turkey gun this spring, look no further than the Vortex Defender ST. This is the red dot we're going to be running this season. We're excited about it. This thing's built like a tank, super lightweight, super long battery life, everything you need in a good turkey red dot. And if you want to get a discount on that red dot or any other Vortex optic, go to eurooptic.com and use the code SGN10 to get a discount. That's eurooptic.com, code SGN10. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman podcast. I don't know what we're gonna call these yet, dude. What should we call them?
0: Here we. You want to change? You always want to change the concepts again. You see, <laughs> Friday breakdowns, altros. Now you want to put it out on Thursdays. It's like I don't know, man. I
1: wanted to put it out on Wednesday, and you said Thursday. Wednesday,
0: break down, Thursday breakdown, Friday breakdown, color
1: commentary, color commentary from the Southern Outdoorsman. Something, something like that. I don't know. Anyways. I hope everybody enjoyed the episode with Alan from this past Monday. I was really excited for this one to drop, dude. We had a a freaking blast going up there and interviewing him and talking to him and seeing his house. And, uh, like, let me just say that his trophy room, if you haven't seen the pictures, go to our social media, find the post for this episode that's live right now, and look at the pictures of, of his deer. This guy, if he lived in Kansas, if he lived in Iowa, Wisconsin, it doesn't matter. He would have a very impressive trophy room, but all these, all these are Alabama deer, and I mean these are cream of the crop, just top level bucks for Alabama, and he is he's been very consistent on them. Freaking drop time bucks galore, dude. All I'm talking about that house is slammed how, full how of drop time. How
0: many how many, many drop time bucks did he have?
1: Did you count at least three? There was at least three, but there might have been more. But three, dude, like. I don't know, like anybody else has killed a drop ton buck. Personally, I don't think, unless I'm forgetting. I mean, I don't, I can't think of anybody that I personally know who's killed a drop ton buck, and he's got three from Alabama. Very, very, very impressive, dude. Uh, but what do you think of it,
0: dude? He, he's a he's a wealth of knowledge. He was a fun guy to talk to. There's this, there's so much there. Um, about how he hunts his properties. And now he's venturing out in public land too, having success on public land with a bow. But, you know, he's a big time bow hunter. He's killed a few good deer with the rifle as well. But, man, it's just, it is crazy how he's got his properties so dialed in and how and when to hunt them. And I yeah. think there's a lot of big takeaways, especially for him, um, whether you're hunting public land or private land, how to learn a spot. And we talked about this in last week's uh, Friday Breakdown outro, whatever we're it, Thursday Breakdown. Uh, discussing like annual patterns and how much of it like how important annual patterns are for him and how he hunts these spots because he mentioned earlier in the episode he's like dude i don't scout anymore because he's got these annual patterns down down so tight that he knows when and how and at what time of the season he needs to go in and execute and he talks about like some of the spots he hunts He's like, I may hunt it once or twice a season, but I'm going to kill a buck when I do it because I've got the timing down yeah. of exactly which days I need to be in the woods in those specific spots and when those bucks are really, you know, cruising for those does. Yeah,
1: definitely. And he some of the comparisons he made between his private land spots and, and public land, and I, I think he said something along the lines of like these certain areas or these spots on your your private land you you create them on public land you scout for them mm-hmm. and you find them. And, and so you're kind of looking for the same thing, no matter where you're at. It's just, you got to be more, you, you hunt private land a lot different than public. So, you, you know, you just got to be more careful if that's, if that's the 500 acres that you have to hunt. And that's where you're kind of putting your eggs in that basket. You got to be a lot more cautious than if you just hunt wherever
0: or 40 acres
1: and yeah, or 40 acres, in, like in his case yeah,
0: and, and one, on one of his little properties. So yeah, um, dude, it's a, a wealth of knowledge. And I mean, you talking about a guy that, like knows those white tails and, and has them dialed. I mean, he's, he's doing it. And, and the cool thing is he's only, I think he's only like 39 years old and he's figuring this stuff out. And it's like, dude, you got a long, long you got a long way to go. to go. Hopefully if everything keeps going good, man, it's like, it's, it is impressive. Yeah. Um, But, like, one of the biggest takeaways, I think, early on we can start talking about is, again, maybe starting with his annual patterns. Because, like, he mentioned this early on the podcast, but, like, without even mentioning the term annual patterns, but how important that is for him in a lot of these areas where, like, he spent so much time on these properties, hunting, running trail cameras, knowing exactly when does start coming in the heat. I mean, he even made some... Uh, comments about some similarities between like what he's done compared to like what Shane Parker's done uh, when we've interviewed Shane a few times in the show, uh, talking about like keeping up with does, keeping up with that buck activity off trail cameras and hunting these locations. So like he knows when that timing's right of when he goes in and hunts those specific pro- properties because again they're not all in the same area. They're in a couple different counties where those properties are at, and they all hunt slightly different. Like they're a little bit different habitat in each of them, different size properties, uh, but he's still kind of figured that stuff out. Pretty, I mean, really well. I mean, you see his trophy wall. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, the annual patterns is, I think, massive. Um. You know, he he brought up early on. We were talking about one of his smaller properties that's pretty close to the house, where it's this forty acre parcel. It's like twenty acre of like pasture land and twenty acre timber, and how he's gone about like building out that twenty acres with the timber to like not only hold deer there, but make it super huntable for him to be able to go in and again you know, using the Andre DeQuisto term, surgically remove that buck, the buck that he's after in that spot at the right time of the season. instead of like burning up the woods, cause I think so many guys, and you know, I've been guilty of the past when I used to hunt our family farm, a whole bunch with my uh, uncle, um, of just like, you know, 90 acres and you hunt it every weekend and you put, just doing that you're putting a ton of pressure out there hunting different spots you know, instead of like waiting for that timing to be right and then going in and and, and executing yeah and that's the, i think the problem with especially a lot of people with small properties is you know you feel like you got this 30 40 acres like oh man i gotta go hunt it or i got this 150 acres oh man i gotta go hunt it and it's like the more and more we touch some of these guys that are successful in these smaller properties it's like they like you've got to have like the discipline first off you either have to have other options to go hunt like you got to have public land or a big piece of property you can go run around on and kind of get that itch while you're waiting for the time to get right on your property. Or you just have to have the discipline. Like I'm not getting on that property to hunt until it is prime time. Yeah. Couple days hunting. And then you're killing that buck and you're, you're getting gone. And actually our taxidermist, um, Daniel Williams at uh Cedar Ridge uh, taxidermy, um, he talks about this on his place he's got a a lease it's not a huge lease i think it's like maybe four or five hundred acres and that's kind of how him and his guys hunt that place they're like dude the rut's typically you know late december and we're going to maybe bow hunt it a couple times early, but other than that, we're going to hold off, and we're going to wait until it's, the timing's right. Yep. And then when those bucks really start daylighting on trail camera and the timing's getting really good, that's when they go in and all the guys and that and that lease, I think there's like three of them in that lease, they all kill two or three nice mature bucks in that property in like a 14-day like a period.
1: Yeah, 100%. Yeah, with the annual patterns, I can relate to it because I got two spots this coming year where annual patterns, I got two different sides of the coin so on my hunting club I I didn't run cameras out there like I should have I, I put most of my cameras on public but I had a couple cameras on the club one in particular on a scrape that I thought was going to be like a dynamite scrape and I was going to get a lot of good stuff on it and it was just very underwhelming I got plenty of deer on it but no buck that I would be like very excited about shooting there was one like kind of heavy six point that like I might have shot if he walked out, depending on how I was feeling that day, but no, no, just like obvious, like big bucks on that. So that's really all the information I got off that. So I don't really have a great annual pattern to go off of on my club this year. Cause I just didn't run that many cameras out there, which I'm mad at myself about. Uh, on the other hand, where we did our mountain hunt and killed those bucks, I have the utmost confidence going back in there this following or, or this coming year. Because we have, I don't know, a month and a half, two months of trail camera data on scrapes, two different scrapes in the same valley, and and we just, we hit it perfect last year, but we still have all that data from before and after we killed those deer, so uh, I, I feel like this coming season, I'm going to be able to capitalize on that, and I feel like in, in that area, I hopefully have something now that's similar to what Alan was talking about, where... He has his spots that are established and he knows when to hunt it under what conditions and he's going to go in there and surgically remove a buck, you know? So like in that area, for instance, there's no reason for me to go in there in October and bow hunt that spot. So I'm not going to do it. I'm only going to go in there on the dates where I can hunt it during the rut and I got favorable conditions to do so. And then I'm going to go in there and hunt it. Not not even just that,
0: but also not even the rut but even the pre-rut when those bucks were like there was a few days I remember when those bucks were like there was like a, a pretty good like nighttime movement on the, on those on those cameras on those uh scrapes and then yeah. all of a sudden it was like it died yeah and then there was a like I don't know a few day period when like a di- bunch of different mature bucks were hitting during daylight hours yep. on that scrape
1: exactly exactly so I'm really excited about that spot uh but I just did the annual pattern thing and he's an example of a guy who has just Got it down to a T. Got it down to science. Yeah. And and part of that is definitely him being able to manage some of his properties, which he did talk about some pretty interesting stuff where if you're in a hunting club or a lease, which a lot of people that listen to this podcast are, there is stuff that you can do if you don't own that land to improve it. And he, he mentioned some of those in the episode. I forgot the name of it, but you can essentially work with that timber company and they're obviously not going to want you to like cut down pine trees or whatever, but uh there there are certain things that you can do and, and maybe we you know we could uh talk to him about that in the future at some point that might be an interesting episode but like m- like my club on the club rules it basically says you can't cut down like mature timber and you specifically can't cut down pine trees but you can limb them uh, so i'd be curious to get with like our area manager who actually works for the timber company and get on the phone with him not email him or anything but like, actually get on the phone with him and just be like hey like, what do you guys allow? Like, did you, would you care if I went in and did some like hack and squirt on some sweet gums and turn that sweet gum thicket into something productive, you know? Cause we have an area on our club that is thick and nasty with pine trees, but there, a lot of sweet gums are coming up in it. And I felt like if you, if you did like a hack and squirt treatment and took out those sweet gums and let that sunlight get through, that it might turn into some, like an even better bedding area. Um, so that's something to keep in mind. There's there there are options. You don't necessarily have to own your land, but if you do own the land, or if you have a relationship with that landowner and and they would allow you to do some kind of heavier management, and then dude, like the sky is the limit, as Alan has proved. Yeah. So that, that's that's just something that I find interesting to keep in mind, and it got my wheels turning on like maybe there's some stuff I can do in my club. Kind of going back to the Richard Mannery episode we did. Where Richard talks about going into a pine thicket and cutting like a basically clearing out a row between the pine trees. You know, like you got the rows of pines and clearing out in between two of those rows, limbing those pine trees and planting a little food plot in that pine thicket and having dynamite access. This is pretty much exactly the same thing that Alan was talking about. Having dynamite access, have your tree picked out. And then you're basically just walking up like like a Wilson on Home Improvement, where you're just peeking over the fence and you're just looking into the into the area where the deer are at. And then when your hunt's over, you're getting down and you're backing out and you're getting out of there unnoticed. And you're 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 basically creating a spot that you could hunt over and over and over and over again without really putting much pressure on the deer, which is really intriguing.
0: Yeah, yeah uh, the episode that Andrew was talking about with Richard Mannery that was uh 464 hunting big flats or big flatland whitetails with, with I can't talk, with <laughs> Richard, oh my God. Oh my God! Richard Mannery episode 464. <laughs> yeah, that, that was a really good one. I think that's something that I think a lot of guys can do on their properties, uh, even if it is like a hunting club release that like you can't really cut a lot of timber or anything on. uh be interesting. But going back to what Alan was saying, like, even on that little 40-acre parcel where it's, like, 20 acres pasture, 20 acres timber, and you can't really do anything with the pastures. Um, talking about, like, how he went in there, and, like, one of the first things he did when he started taking it more seriously is is actually make some thicker bedding areas there, like, kind of coming through yeah. and And, uh, you know, cutting some timber down, making it thicker where the does want to be there, but also making it almost like a sanctuary for those bucks. Because he's, like, everyone around him hunts all the time. Like, yes. he's got a lot of, like... All, all the land around him gets hunted pretty heavily and for him to not go in there and pressure that property early on, like when gun season opens and waiting for it to get better, has allowed him like those bucks kind of get sucked up in there, even though it's a small property, those mature bucks kind of get sucked up in there. And also they're able to, you know, find those does that are still doing, you know, their, their daily patterns. Like they're not getting bl- busted by, uh, by hunters on that property. Like they're still moving pretty naturally. And he talks about on that property, having a food plot strategically, Placed in and around that bedding cover that allows him to be able to slip in there pretty easily, going through some wide open timber that yep. the deer aren't typically going to be using, and having the wind set up with that wind's kind of blowing back through that wide open timber. Because with his uh, uh, kind of use of the property, you know, he's seen like those bucks really and the does really aren't going through that wide open timber, which makes me wonder what kind of timber that is. I'm, I'm guessing it's probably not oaks um as in like i wonder like if it's like you know big hickory trees or, or ash, rash i don't know something Shack else blackberries something but um but using that kind of negative terrain that that open habitat um as a way to be able to get into a stand cleanly on that little food plot but that food plot surrounded you know 180 plus degrees by thick bedding covering those bucks are kind of going back and forth through there you know checking for yeah. those yeah um which again i was like that's pretty sweet and also he kind of brought on another property the one down in Sumner County, um, where like the down there is a lot different because it's it's even like where he's at and that forty acres is like gently rolling hills, but on that other property, it's completely flat. And there he's talking about like hunting thickets that are almost like, uh, and I I I don't know if he really went into it. I can't remember if he made the thickets or if there's naturally there, but they're kind of like hourglass shaped where you have like one big thicket, you know, maybe it's like seven, eight acres here, and another thicket's a couple acres here, and they kind of like neck down towards each other, and there's like a 50-yard gap where it's still kind of thick, but it's not crazy thick, and those bucks run that gap going back and forth. Oh, yeah. And even in flatland, he's got that linear uh, covering that linear tr- path of travel, where he can sit up there and catch those bucks coming across, you know, from one thicket to another thicket. And I'm like, dude, that would be pretty slick. And like, we found places like that in Publicland that you know have something similar, where you have, then you have a lot of guys talking about that. Like, you have one thicket here, a clear cut here a skinny little smz that splits another clear cut and them either going across the top of the smz at the head of it or finding a, a path of travel they can go through the smz from one clear cut to another clear cut and it seems like you know that's what he's done on that other property and done really really well hunting that linear uh cover and going from one thicket to another thicket kind of in that hourglass shape and he's kind of getting like right in the middle uh where they kind of pinch down and, and setting up so I'm like, that's, that's pretty slick. And that's something again, if you had some private land, you could definitely do that pretty, I think pretty easily, um, kind of creating that habitat and, and kind of that thicket where you're like, you know, you're kind of creating that spot that like works best out for you. Like the deer are going to use it, but it allows you to be able to get in there cleanly, but also be able to hunt that movement throughout the day. And like you said, I think in that spot, uh, a lot of the bucks he's killed and seen in that spot are kind of later in the morning, like you get a flurry of activity early on and then you know all those bucks are cruising you know nine ten eleven o'clock in the morning uh and that's when he's typically killing those deer on that property
1: yeah, definitely. Yeah, he was a dude. He was just a fun guy to talk to. Um, we were joking after we we uh, interviewed him too that his son has already killed a couple nice bucks, and I'm like, dude, nice. You... He's killed some hammers. Yeah, it was a really big deer. I'm like, dude, your son's gonna grow up and be a killer. <laughs> like, as, long, as long as he stays passionate
0: about it, absolutely. Yeah, for I mean, real. He, Like he, even he said, like you know, his son's killed bigger deer than most grown men has ever even seen, let alone had the opportunity to kill. Like that deer he, yeah. he killed, they've got property and in tennessee that uh, his son killed an absolute slob on last year and that's actually a pretty cool uh, story i think we talked about a little bit in the episode but we didn't really dive into it like that property uh had a ton of oaks uh, and it was a really pretty property and they went in and heavily cut that property uh to turn it more back to like a um kind of a upland hardwood savanna where you have a lot more grassland and stuff up there in, in that kind of cover. And he said that it just tremendously helped the property. Like it was already really good, but like when he cut it like that and opened it up, how much more deer and turkey use that property versus when it was this all closed, you know, closed canopy timber. Um, yeah. And also just makes it even more potentially huntable. So Yeah,
1: definitely. So one of the more interesting stories that we talked about on this podcast was where he has this crazy looking buck that he ended up shooting and you'll see pictures of it in the social media posts but the week before he killed that buck he was hunting and he saw the deer he had eyes on the deer and it was 80-ish yards out in front of him and it was paralleling him where it was about to get into his wind and so he climbed with the deer in sight climbed down out of his tree and ran off basically to, to avoid letting that deer wind him that's interesting and that the reason I find that so interesting is like, that's the length he's willing to go to, to basically maintain the, I guess his standards for pressures on his, pressure for, on his property. And, uh, I think that kind of plays back into what he was talking about with private land versus public land, where if you've got a bunch of different, like if you're, if you're the kind of guy that's, you know, hunting a bunch of different public properties. You got cameras all over the place. You do your homework and and you have a lot of areas that you're confident in killing a mature buck in. You're probably not going to do something like that. You might, but a lot of people won't. Even a lot of private land people don't. But, you know, he has such high standards for his access, for how much pressure he's putting on his deer herd and, and making those deer feel very comfortable to keep coming back to those spots that he literally climbed out of the tree with the deer in front of him. Didn't try to grunt him in or anything like that, which he talked about later, how he tries to grunt in most bucks that he sees, and uh, and got out of there. And it paid off. He ended up killing the, the bucket a, a week later, which had it winded him and busted him really bad in that spot, maybe he wouldn't have. Yeah, you know, we don't know. Well,
0: especially on a property that small. But one thing that he mentions about in the episode is like how he sets his tree stands where he can get up and down and out of those stands without deer typically seeing him. And that's something to take in consideration because it's not like he's using a climber and he's like trying to scale the tree or even a saddle and sticks. Like, you know, he's doing some pre-hung sets that, you know, he's got cover in around so he can climb up that tree without being seen if there's a deer out there in like in the food plot or in that timber. So with him talking about like the deer is within sight, when he's like, climbing out of the tree, that like, deer really can't see him as he's coming out of the tree and slipping out there. And he talks about having some thick cover close to the tree so like when he hits the ground, there's like a visual obstruction between him and where the deer typically are at. So he can slip out of there a lot quietly, or a lot more quietly, but also where they can't see him. Yeah. And that's a huge factor. Cause it's not like, you know, he's in a huge open landscape and the deer is coming. He's hopping out a tree where the deer can see him. It's not necessarily like that. Yeah. Uh, so that's something to take in consideration with that spot. But again, it goes back to showing his discipline about how strict he is in those kind of cases about, you know, getting out of the way and, and trying to, uh, you just not have deer smell them and, and hunt it in the, Absolute, you know, just optimal conditions, wind directions, everything that's going to give him the best opportunity to go in there and again kill those bucks. Um, but yeah, no, that, that was a pretty cool story. Now I can't remember. Was that the deer? Is that the, like the really gnarly looking? Yeah. Deer or is that the real big? No, I think deer it was one? a really
1: gnarly looking yeah. one.
0: Yeah. That deer's. God, that <laughs> that deer's deer's pretty crazy. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Hounds Tooth Game Calls is your home. tooth game calls that's sop24 use it at checkout it helps the podcast
0: true lock chokes has been made in georgia since 1981 and offering a wide range of chokes over two thousand different chokes for all kinds of shooting activities you might be wondering why you'd want to purchase a true lock choke and it's to improve your shotgun performance absolutely guaranteed and is a great example we have andrew maxwell here and uh andrew you've had some pretty good luck again kind of switching out chokes and trying out the precision hunter choke from true lock so Andrew what's been your experience so far
1: yeah I've always I've used the same choke for several years now I never really thought much of it and I got the true lock choke in I patterned my gun with the first choke at uh, 30 and 50 and then I switched to the true lock and changed from 30 to 50 and the 50 yard pattern on my gun with the true lock choke is unbelievable like everybody's jaws were dropping like when I, we were out there with Mike and Sam we were all super impressed I mean it's throwing a better pattern at 50 now than it was throwing at 40 before my old choke.
0: And Andrew, you're shooting the Precision Hunter choke from True Lock. It's a great option. same chokes I have in my shotgun. So guys, if you want to give True Lock a shot this spring, you could head over to TrueLockChokes.com. It's T R U L O C K chokes.com. You can also use the promo code SOUTHERN at checkout at TrueLockChokes.com and save 10% on your order. Again, give True Lock a shot this spring especially if you're not happy with the performance of your shotgun and shoot with a more deadly pattern with true lock. It is fascinating when you find guys like that, that are that disciplined, uh, but also put that much effort into stand setups and stand sites to give you that kind of opportunity to be able to get in and out cleanly without being seen.
1: Yeah. And so what do you think about this too? Because like I I was trying, I asked him the same thing like two or three times trying to kind of get it out of him. But I'm like, how do you establish like that level of confidence in a spot because like obviously he's got the spots where he knows the tree, the week and the weather condition that he's going to go hunt it and probably see or kill one of his target bucks. Um, And he was like, well, I don't even really scout anymore. I'm like, like, yeah, like I, I understand like you don't scout anymore, but like, how do you get to that point is what I was wondering. So what would you think about that conversation?
0: Uh, I think it was interesting. Cause I think we were able to kind of get that out of him of like, you know when you spent 10 15 20 years in a spot you really understand how stuff works versus if it's your first year going in there and again another prime example which we bring up all the time is michael perry yes he does a lot of the same stuff like he's got spots pinned out picked out with the right conditions he's going the spots and even maybe if the conditions aren't optimal but he knows the timing's right yeah he'll still go in there and and burn that spot for the opportunity to potentially kill a buck that's using it um again but again you know uh uh perry's you know hunting huge pieces of public land he's got a ton of spots to do that at Versus you know in this case specifically with alan you know he's on a pretty small parcel of, of land i mean 40 acres and really 20 of it is what's going to hold the deer Um uh, and really probably less than 20 acres because a lot of it's you know you said some of it's open timber yep um uh, you've got less room for error in in that case so um uh, you know talking about you know how you get to the point of Not having to scout, I think it just, I mean, you're talking about that's something you don't learn in a year or two. And he mentioned that, like, you don't pick up on this in a year or two, like you've got to fail and and figure out based off what you're seeing on a trail camera, but also what you're visually seeing of how to go about fine tuning a spot to it's literally it's about as perfect as it ever is going to get unless other than maybe doing a little bit more habitat management in there um to keep it really nice uh and like he mentioned on that i think that probably he think he said he burns like every three to four years in there where it like stays thick but he'll burn it to kind of keep that mm-hmm. hardwood understory from like growing up real bad and uh, i think that's a, a huge point that i think you know a lot of people don't realize it's like you know, if, unless you're using fire, and again, if you're on a lease property, it's timber managed property, they're probably not going to let you run a fire through it, typically. Yeah. yeah. But if it's your own farm or a uh, lease land through a private individual, they may be a little more, uh, especially if it's maybe a lease through an individual, that landowner may be a little more willing for you to do some habitat management work, especially if you had brought in a forester to help you do some of that stuff. Yeah. Uh, or, of course, got your permit and show that, you know, you're serious about it. You're not just going to go out there and torch the whole woods on fire. Yeah. Um, I think you'd get a little more uh, leeway with that, but again, it kind of goes back to, you know, years and decades in a spot, fine tuning it to the point where you're like, I've got it dialed. But again, he explained what he's doing public land. It's similar but different than what he's doing the private lane. Like publicly like he's having to scout, he's having to go find these spots. But when he finds these spots, he's kind of dialing in on them. And even with that, like after one year of hunting public land, because I thought he'd been doing it for a few years, but he's like, no, just last year was his first season of really doing it. I think killed two bucks last year on public was, uh, you know, fine tuning some spots, finding you know that linear path of travel where these bucks can be running some kind of habitat lining, these compounding habitat features where you have a bunch of different things coming one spot, and then once you find that and you kind of figure out what the does are doing, pay attention to that, pay attention to that pattern of when these does and these bucks are really cruising, and kind of saving those spots until prime time to go in there. And again, it goes back to other guys we've had on the podcast, like don't go in there and. I mean, he had different thoughts on this, but like, you know, may, maybe it's not the best thing to go in there and, and either shoot a bunch of deer before the rut takes place or anything like that. Kind of like will change what's happening. Yeah. Um, and like, we've had guys on the podcast talk about like, yeah, I'm not going to go shoot my does in this spot. Cause I'm waiting for the rut and I want to make sure those does are as, Natural as possible. They haven't been hunted, at least by me. Can't help if other people have been going in there hunting it if it's public land or even a lease or club. But keeping it as natural as possible so that when that timing comes and those first does come to heat, like you're able to slip in there and capitalize on the situation.
1: Yeah, definitely. And that's something that came up on a bunch of different podcasts last year. Uh, like kind of leaving those seeds, I guess. Like when you're uh, in your doe herd and your buck spots, like having buck spots and doe spots. Well, even the funny thing is uh alan said
0: he's like yes but some of the properties like more people have a lot of properties have more does than probably what the property should allow for yeah as in like as the mouth is feeding it's like yeah i'm not gonna go shoot a doe in that spot but i'll shoot a doe on the, the outer edge of that property and have my son come in we'll go knock out five or six does but we're not gonna hunt them in that specific spot we're gonna be on the outer yeah. edge of it trying to shoot some does and i get that too it's like okay like you know you eliminate a few of those does, so you have a little better kind of herd ratio, and maybe have some better like rutting activity in that spot, um, which is another kind of consideration to take. But you know, he's not going to be popping a doe in those rut funnels, yeah, you know, per se, you know, especially as you know, time gets a little closer towards the time he needs to kill his deer, um, yeah. But yet, again, super super interesting on that aspect from like a, a private land owner, small uh lease uh user, hunting club member, or even on public land. Again, fine tuning those spots, kind of staying out of them to the times right. Like the mountain place, like like you said, I don't care about going up there and really bow hunting. You no. said you want to on one part that you just scouted,
1: d- different area.
0: But okay, no, different area. I, d- I
1: do want to bow hunt that terrain, but I'm not going to bow hunt that spot. Yeah, so I'm going to go find a different spot to go screw up my bow hunting because mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm probably not going to kill anything. But. um I, I think that it, it kind of highlights again, what you just said, uh, when it comes to establishing these spots that are reliable year after year, it's not like a one or two or even three year process. A lot of times it takes like a long time. And like, we've been, I've been hunting public land for deer pretty hard since like probably 2013 or so, 2013 maybe 2012 a little bit. So roughly about 10 years now. And I feel like I'm just now getting some of those spots where I'm like very confident in going to them. Uh, So part of that was me just like not knowing what the heck I was doing for (laughs) a long time. You can definitely do it a lot quicker. but yeah, You can do it a lot quicker for sure. But I'm just saying that like after one year like you might not be able to figure it out after just one year so maybe don't don't get discouraged but but look at properties from that perspective um and always keep that in the back of your mind is you know i'm, I'm not only scouting for this fall i'm scouting for two years from now three years from now you know i'm, I'm putting all this in the back of my head because that that has happened like that that glade spot that we talked about with kyle who people here on monday's episode i keep alluding to future episodes but like that spot i knew about that spot for like three years before i actually went in there and started killing deer in it and then i killed two bucks in that spot so that's that's actually a pretty good example where i just slowly gathered information and then i was like okay this is the spot and i went in there and it paid off two times in a row so i don't know interesting subject for sure do you have any spots that you feel like are, are like just money in the bank for you you bounce around a lot, though, so I don't know. I mean, oh, I, I mean,
0: I got spots in Arkansas. Definitely. <laughs> like, dude, like, that's my state now, dude. Oh, my
1: God. <laughs> dude, all the Arkansas people are going to ride in and be mad at you. The oh. Arkansas people do ride in quite often, and they're like, can y'all quit talking about Arkansas? They're the only state where when we interview someone from that state, we get, we get people who write in and they're like, stop interviewing people from Arkansas. You know, like we get people, they're like, can you interview more, more people from uh, Mississippi or Georgia? Yeah. Not Arkansas. They uh, get angry about it. I I get it. I get
0: it. (laughs) Yeah. Oh man. It's funny. No, it's, I don't know. It's, um, yeah, there are some spots that come to mind that I'm like, feel very confident at very specific times of the year going to, again, like Arkansas, a couple of spots in Arkansas definitely are like that. Um, I mean that mountain public that we hunted last year definitely would be like this what we're talking about um i mean there's some other stuff like closer to us that you know during very specific times of year i think you could do pretty well especially like pre-rut um and then when it comes to rut it's just like balls out craziness I mean, it kind of goes back to some of the guys that we've talked to before, uh, like Nick Harris and Scott Seals. It, it really comes down like some of those times of the year when you have a crazy amount of does, like really high doe numbers. It's just like, where can you sit? And we're talking rifle hunting here, but like, where can you sit where you see the most area possible to be able to see those does come across, you know, some of these openings? And then also, you know, catch these bucks cruising, too. And, you know, it, sometimes it's, it's exciting. Other times it's like you wait all morning and all of a sudden that freaking buck pops out at 1130 and you're like, oh, crap, here he is. <laughs> here's, here's my chance. Here's my chance. Yep, for sure. Um, which, I mean, definitely it, it uh, that can be extremely tough. But, um, yeah, dude, I, th- I think definitely like if someone like a listener, if you like listening to this, if you have like that mindset of like each year, like you're building upon for the next year, and we harp on that a bunch of the podcasts because like we've done – terrible at it uh, for a lot of our time that we've been hunting specifically publicly land of like not focusing on the big picture and not worrying about like necessarily killing a buck right in and then and now but like finding areas that you can hunt years like year after year and compound your success by learning more and more about the property learning more about the deer their their patterns how they use the habitat, how they use the train, how you can use the habitat and train in order to set up on them and get opportunities. Um, and I think if you really go in with a mindset like, how can you focus on learning stuff this year that's going to apply – maybe, maybe it will help you this year, but really apply for next year, I think that's how you're going to start compounding that success a lot.
1: Yeah, and I, that's, uh, that's one thing that I, I've gotten people writing in about from time to time, and that is – I feel like at the end of a deer season, you should kind of naturally be like, oh man, like next year, you you should have found some stuff where you're like, man, if I'd have just known this back in December or November, then I would have done really good. But like sometimes, and this happened to me, you get to the end of deer season, you're like, I don't know what the heck just happened. (laughs) You know, a spot, you know, a spot I'm pretty excited about. And I, you know,
0: I scouted it last year, found the sign, found the bucks, never hunted it at all. Oh yeah. I know. I already know. And it's like that place with the buck beds. Yes. Yeah. On the bluff wall? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It, and it's like, you know, I didn't hunt it at all last year, even though I was talking a big game. Like, I wouldn't go in there and shoot him out of the bed with a muzzleloader. But but
1: um, do you feel like this coming year, you know when you are when you should be there and when to take advantage of that?
0: Yeah, but I want to go back and scout it again, like in
1: maybe September, and make sure the bucks are still using those areas. Yeah. Uh,
0: which I'm sure they are, because it's a place that doesn't really ever change. Um, but other... Let me say this because I can say this. They recently just burned in there or adjacent to it, and uh, I, I wonder how much better it's going to be this year. Because last year the air, the, where they burned at, it was pretty. Uh, it's an area they had thinned, <laughs> and uh, like this piece of public really have i've never really i've never really deer hunted it but we scouted i scouted a little bit last year and there was a big area that they had thinned and they had just ran a fire through it this spring yeah because i noticed that while i was driving around this spring and i'm like dude when all this stuff grows up this summer like and it's gonna be like you know knee high thigh high cover and like all this great browse it will to bring even more deer into that spot and buck kind of betting on those adjacent points out there and I'm like dude it ought to be even better this year than it was last year like in all honesty <laughs> Yeah, and I'm like,
1: okay, yeah. Uh-huh. So, what would you say though, if somebody got to the end of last deer season and they but they don't have that kind of revelation of like they they don't have a very clear picture of this season, you know what they did wrong last year, basically. Yeah, you, um,
0: you didn't ask enough whys like what you didn't ask enough whys of like why am i not seeing deer why am i not seeing sign or why am i seeing deer and seeing sign yeah like that is like the biggest thing like you've got to ask why like like why is stuff happening for a good reason or a bad reason yeah why is stuff not happening yeah and it's like if if you keep hunting the same spot and i know guys like this we all know guys like this everybody on this podcast knows guys like this whether it's you or your buddy he, they always hunt the same spots. Maybe they had success in there a couple of years ago. They hunt the same spots and they're not seeing the sign, and they just keep going back. It's like again, I say this analogy all the time. It's like a bad ex. You keep going back to them. You know how it ended the time or two before, but you keep going back. Yep. Okay, and getting get your heart broken every single time. Okay, yeah. it's not gonna work. This is not yeah. gonna work. Uh huh. Same thing with a lot of deer hunters. I feel like that they will have some success in one area. And for whatever reason, it might have been a fluke. Something happened that year that maybe there was a reason a buck came cruising through, and they don't ever expand out from there, and, and they don't ever like keep looking for that why. Like why was that buck in here? Okay, yep. and then why am I not seeing bucks in here now, or seeing deer in yep. general in here? And it's like if you haven't been doing it in the past, you're kind of behind the eight ball because now you're trying to have to we're gonna have to relearn that this fall for next year, because it's hard to do, it, especially if the average guy can only hunt if you're lucky. You might be able to hunt one day a week if you're lucky. Like most guys, if you're working a Monday through Friday job. You got family and stuff. Maybe you can hunt a Saturday yep. once a week. Yep. That that'd probably be a best case scenario for most guys. Some people are lucky enough. Maybe they can hunt a couple of days a week. Yeah. But if you can only hunt one day a week, it's gonna be really hard to find out any kind of pattern of how that de- those deer shift around throughout the fall. Mm-hmm. If you're only out there one day a week. Yeah. So that's why it's really big about compounding and expanding where you're hunting at checking out new spots, and maybe you find something like over the next ridgeline that you haven't gone to before, and that's maybe, for whatever reason, where a lot of that sign's at. Like, you're getting closer to where that buck's bedded at, or like where more that sign is being laid down, versus that little drainage or that little ridge that you've been hunting on. If you would just walk a little bit further or, yeah. or check out maybe a spot even closer to the truck that you kind of overlooked, maybe you'll it more of those pieces of the puzzle will get put together. But like, you've got to do that. You got to be asking why, Like, why are you not seeing deer? Why are you seeing deer? Why are you not seeing sign? Why are you seeing sign? And try to put the pieces together instead of just going out there just to hunt. Like you got to go out there with the, with the idea of like, I've got to learn something today that will help me.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And hunting with my buddy, Sam and his wife, Blakely, uh, they they're in my hunting club this year and man they got after it. they hunted pretty hard this year and they hunted really hard in turkey season uh, but also my stepdad mike who is he went out with me a couple times last year and he actually joined the club for this year so uh, they're both sam and my stepdad mike they're both newer hunter like they're getting into deer hunting right now like hard they're getting into it heavier and last year what i told them i was like dude Like, if you kill something this year, awesome. Like, go try to kill something, but you're really kind of hunting for next year at this point. And I told them to kind of look at deer season this past season. I, I was like, look at it that way. Like, hopefully we do good this year. Obviously, we're trying to go out there and have success, but just know that next year is probably when, it, it's really going to pay off after you get some history and hopefully you're asking why you're going to learn some stuff. And that's one of the big reasons that I just decided to rejoin that club instead of jump into the other club that I was thinking about joining. Cause I, me and you went and scouted turkeys one time we had some late season deer hunts. Uh, and then on some Turkey hunts that we went on, we found some stuff that I'm like, okay, like I actually feel a lot more confident in this place now after we found some stuff like that steep terrain, you know, where they're coming down and, so, um, I, I just feel like that's good advice for somebody is like, just, just know, especially when you're starting on a new area, you're really, you're really hunting for next year.
0: Well, and a flip side, if you're doing a, say you, you have a vacation hunt, you're taking off six, seven, eight days to go hunt. Okay. Yeah. Cause like I've done this a lot the last couple of years after being able to have more freedom to go do this kind of stuff. Um, this is like massively huge when you're on a short hunt like that. When you're only going to yeah. be able to hunt for five or six days in a row and that's the only time you're able to hunt in that area, yep, you gotta be asking a lot of whys. Yep. Because uh-huh. you're trying to do what someone might do in a whole season, you're trying to get done in a week. Yes. Okay. And that is massive. Like if you're if you're gonna be driving like, hey, I'm gonna to go to Ohio this year and hunt or Kentucky or Arkansas. I'm sure all Arkansas like that. <laughs> or wherever. If you're gonna be hunting out of state this year, or if you're just taking a vacation hunt to go hunt your property, you've gotta be doing stuff at lightning speed. Yeah. Because you don't have all the time in the world to figure stuff out. So you gotta like be burning the woods up, covering a lot of ground, and asking a crap ton of questions. being wise.
1: intentional about what you're doing. Well,
0: I'll give you a great example. Arkansas last year. I mentioned this before. Went up for the muzzler hunt and I covered probably in like two days, I think I did like fifteen miles in two days. Found all kinds of deer sign droppings and some tracks, never found any like rubs, never found any scrapes, or anything like that. Saw probably 70 deer, 68 of them were does. two <laughs> of were bucks and, and both were small bucks. And I shot one of the small bucks. Okay. Yeah. Going back, like, and I found all this time. I'm like, instead of like having the mindset, like, Hey, I need to kill a deer right then and there, which again, if you're only, if you only had those four or five days to hunt, like you, you would kind of like what I did. I kind of didn't think about, like, I'm going to be back here, like, three weeks for the gun opener. And, you know, being able to get, you know, an opportunity to be able to hunt one of these properties, uh, one of these public land properties with a a rifle, uh, which a lot of people don't get the opportunity to go do that out there. Yeah. Um, Being able to do that, instead of, like, thinking, like, hey, I'm scouting this for the following hunt. I didn't do that, but then when I went back during the rifle opener, I kind of knew where all these does were at, like where I'd seen them during the muzzler hunt. I didn't see yep. the bucks, but all of a sudden, I go back during the November hunt, and all the buck signs being laid down, and literally where I was finding all these does, that's where these bucks had moved into, so I have no idea where they are at during the muzzleloader hunt in October. Yep. Still could not figure out like where the mature bucks were spending time, but come November when the, when the rut started happening, and does were coming to heat, it's like all of those spots I had been to that's where these bucks were starting to show up and, and it paid off. Uh, killing, killing a, a really nice buck and opportunity. I think I saw, I don't know, I saw a bunch of mature bucks on that hunt. Uh, again, I was wishing I had. I was kind of kicking myself for shooting that, that smaller deer on the Mosler hunt. Cause I'm like, man, if I would have had two buck tags, uh that would have been sweet. <laughs> um, yep. But uh I think that's huge, especially if you're into an outstate hunt. Like you've got to be able to like move at lightning speed and hunt your way through spots until you find the very best sign. And also you got to figure out like what is quality sign for the area you're hunting. And that is kind of hard to do, especially if you've never stepped foot on that property before. Because it may have crazy high deer numbers and you see crazy amount of sign all over the place. But that sign might just be average for the area because there's a ton of deer. Or yeah. you might go to a spot where it's like low deer numbers and you start finding a little bit of signs and rubs and scrapes and you might not realize that's like super high quality sign for the spot you're at or the area you're at because the deer numbers aren't crazy high. So, like, that takes into huge consideration in order to have success in a very short window of time when you are doing, like, one of these destination hunts, and you're only there for five to seven days. Yeah, exactly.
1: No, those are all really, really good points. Um, And, dude, I'm sure that we're going to keep covering this kind of stuff over the summer, because we got some people in the queue who, like, I think are very good at explaining this stuff, and and so we're going to do some deep dives on it. but. You're exactly right. You got to be able to figure it out quick, dude. Be intentional with with all the stuff that you're doing, um, and, and always ask why. That's probably like one of the most powerful pieces of advice. Is just just ask why, you know. And you might not know the answer, but just ask. And you'll figure it out. And when know? we say ask, we're talking about ask yourself. Don't ask online. Right? <laughs> don't get on a Facebook group and yeah. ask. <laughs> like, I was
0: on this piece of public land today and, and I was, I'm, you know, I'm just wondering. Like, <laughs> that drives me up on freaking wall. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, dude, dude come don't, on. Don't, come, don't do that. I right, come on now. God, it's bad on tur- that public land turkey owner group. God people be like hey i ain't asking for a pin but what side of this piece of the major we don't recommend to <laughs> i ain't hunt?
1: asking for a pin but can someone send me a pin <laughs> i'm telling you
0: it happens all the time i'm like oh delete delete yeah this post ain't getting approved nope 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 no, anyway, no, no. but uh but yeah asking why to yourself is gonna be huge and I'll constantly just be thinking and like how can you learn something today that's gonna apply for a later hunt whether it's a scouting trip or if it's just a hunt out there because yeah. there's no such thing i don't believe there's such, no such thing as like a unsuccessful hunt um because you're you're constantly trying to learn I mean it's not if you went out every time you went in the woods and killed a mature buck or killed a deer every time you went in the woods it wouldn't be hunting anymore I'm just out there killing just shooting deer Yep. so like if you're constantly just with that mindset like I've got to learn something it's going to make it more fun because that's the thing like the quote unquote failure of not killing a deer okay is what pushes me over the freaking edge of like okay how can I get better at this? How can I get better? How can I get better? If you have that mindset, I think you're going to end up being more successful and also having more fun doing it than just worrying about having to kill a buck or kill a deer every time you go out.
1: Yep. A hundred percent, dude. Uh, well, let's, uh, let's hit some reviews here. Um, we haven't read reviews obviously throughout Turkey season because we weren't doing these, these like color commentary episodes. So, uh, we're going to get back to it. We're almost at a thousand reviews at the time that we're reading this. We're extremely close. So you guys leave a review and we'll read it here. Uh, we're going to read a couple here today. I'm going to start with a uh, great Southern hunting podcast from, uh, M- MG Rosino 11. Uh, thank you for providing topics that are relevant for the Southern hunter. Left us five stars. So we appreciate that, man. Work hard to put it out there. Yep. Got another one. Five stars from quakes, 18
0: consistent quality content. I've never listened to an episode where I didn't leave with some knowledge to go and apply in the field. You guys clearly work hard to make quality content. And it shows keep up the good work.
1: I appreciate that, dude. Uh, all right. Good stuff right here. Five stars. This is from CETO member. Um, been listening to the show for three years since I started hunting public land and feel like the show shortened the learning curve for me in a ton of ways. Started hunting public land in Ohio while up at school and moved back down to the South back down to South Florida and felt like starting from scratch. But guests like Doug White, Mr. Solomon, and other South Georgia and South Carolina hunters gave me juice to keep getting out there and I ended up knocking my first archery buck down in Georgia and my first Florida buck down during Black Powder this year. Appreciate what you fellas do, and cool to see the show continue to keep growing. That's awesome, dude. Congrats on the success. You should definitely write in a listener success story on our website. We have a whole page on there of listener success stories. Uh, that we post on every single week where you guys write in with your stuff and then we will take that and we'll basically make an article out of it and post it on the website so other people can go read it. And dude, there's just all kinds of stuff on there. There are some listeners that have killed some freaking hammers. I mean, some good ones. <laughs> and, and see, that's
0: how you quickly become, go from a listener to a guest in the podcast.
1: 100%, because there's a couple of guys that I'm talking to right now. I'm like, all right, let's come on. Let's, let's, let's get on. There's a guy in Kansas who killed two just, slammers in Kansas back to back years but he's also killed good deer back in his home places in, I think, Mississippi and Louisiana. So, we might have to talk to him. Mm -hmm.
0: By the way, we are 11 reviews away from 1,000 reviews on Apple Podcasts. (sighs) So, guys, we're trying to quickly hit 1,000 reviews before summer gets here. So, if you don't mind, take two seconds out of your listen. Don't cost you a dime. Hit pause. Scroll down to the bottom of the Southern Outdoorsman feed on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five-star review. If you want to be super generous, leave us a written review. You don't have to, but you can leave us a written review, and we'll read those on the podcast as well. Well, uh, but yeah, quickly trying to get to a thousand reviews on Apple Podcast. So if y'all could help us out, can okay, we're just a loving away? So just, just you know, mean, right there. Don't think like, oh, someone else to do it. Just go
1: do at, it. On the cusp. On the cusp, dude. Yeah, for real. Uh, so, anyways, yeah, appreciate those reviews, guys. And like I said, if you have a listener success story, make sure you write in with it, and we'll be sure to share that on the website. Uh, we still have. Th- there's actually been some people message me, and they're like, "Hey, where's my listener success story?" at? The- we still have a bunch of them from last year uh, so we're working through posting all those but you, if you sent one in it will get published as long as like you gave us like something, you know. Like if you if you only typed like five words, and you're know, like, "Here's a buckeye shot." Well, there's not much we can do with that. Yeah, you got to you got to tell us what happened.
0: You tell us what happened. What what episodes were impactful for you? What guests were impactful for you? Let us know. But also, not to sidetrack us, guys, make sure. Listen, if you're a listener of our podcast and you live in the South, make sure you come out, guys, and join us at the 2023 Southern Show for the Mobile Hunters Expo in Chattanooga, Tennessee. It's June 23rd and 24th at Chattanooga. You're going to want to be there. We've got a couple different guests from the podcast. There are going to be guest speakers like Jonathan Moreland, uh, Michael Perry, Hunter Hogan, and others that are going to be doing seminars at the show. It's going to be an awesome time for you guys to be able to come out, hang out with us for the whole weekend, and also be able to try out a bunch of different gear from uh, the 50-plus vendors that are going to be at the Expo uh, that are all designed around mobile hunting. So There's not going to be anything there that's not mobile hunting related. It's going to be awesome, guys. You'll be able to try stuff before you buy and also kind of figure out what works best for you, whether it's a tree stand a saddle or whatever um it's gonna be some awesome opportunities so make sure y'all come out and join that you can buy tickets online right now at the mobile hunters expo.com and if you use there's a show discount code that they're offering for the southern show and it's just the the code southern so super easy you go online you buy your tickets i think it's like 18 bucks or something if you use the code SOUTHERN, it saves you a little bit of money on your tickets. Uh, and you can come out and hang out with us, guys. So It's going to be a, a great show. And also, they're going to have a, a film festival there. And I think we're going to be submitting a film, guys, from one of our last year that we've alluded to. I think it's going to be the episode, the video that Andrew missed the, the monster at. <laughs> but we, we tag you the next day. We're making a film. So if you want potentially first access to see that film, make sure you come to the show and join the film festival and sit in on that. And uh, you'll be able to see that footage. So it's going to be a great time. So hopefully see you all there in Chattanooga go june 23rd and 24th
1: yes sir well all right dude i guess that wraps this one up y'all don't miss monday's episode it's gonna be another really good one that we're excited to get into with a guy who is way overdue of getting on the podcast so uh, y'all look for that on monday and we will see you back here next week hopefully with a thousand reviews on the southern outdoor podcast Need to be. If you are the kind of hunter that listens to this podcast, this show was literally made for you. It is an excellent group of people that are going to be there. A lot of whitetail killers from around the Southeast are going to be there. You're going to get to talk to them, shake their hand, learn from them in person, make some connections. And guys, we get a lot of questions about.